Hey, it's Freddy Cruz, and I am digging deep into the archives from earlier this year to a conversation I had with Jack Carr when he was in town. Jack is the best-selling author of the Terminalist series, which has been adapted into an Amazon series starring Chris Pratt. He's a former Navy SEAL and is the host of the Danger Close podcast. His latest novel is Only the Dead, and if you read one book this holiday season, it's gotta be this one. Jack and I recorded this conversation in front of an audience at Murder by the Book, which, by the way, is a killer local area bookshop. So, this holiday season, shop small. We had a blast talking about his part in the Amazon series, his writing process, and we even had some stellar audience participation. Catch up with Jack and get his latest book, Only the Dead, at officialjackcar.com. And be sure to listen to Danger Close wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Ed Sheeran. This is Bruno Mars. Hey, it's Katy Perry. This is your man Flo Rida with Freddie Cruz. This is AJ Mitchell with Freddie Cruz. Freddie Cruz. Freddie Cruz. Tell you she go pick Mr. 305 and you already know what it is. My name is Freddie and it's time to cruise through HT. We're recording. So, Here we are. So um, I'm supposed to hold this yeah, and like that. It, yes. What, and there's what is no, it? What's this microphone? Look, does that look like... How long has this store been here? <laughs> this thing... This is going to be worth something. In, uh, it probably is now. That's awesome. Yeah, seriously. I can almost guarantee you my dad will flip that on eBay for about 200 bucks, not even joking. Seriously. There it is. Exactly. My, <laughs> that's my time machine for those listening. I'm building a time machine. We can get to that later. We can talk about all about the time machine. I'm excited about it. I asked the crowd who here has not seen the Terminalist series on Amazon, and nobody raised their hand, so everyone has seen it. This is not a spoiler alert. So uh, you, as, the, as one of the executive producers, I have to ask, why in the Sam Hell... Would you kill yourself off? Why would you be okay with that? Because you have to, when, you're, when you get offered a cameo, uh, you kind of got to get a play it a little bit. You have to think about what they're offering you and then kind of maneuver to be in a scene that is very hard to edit out. Mm. Yep. So you can't just be like, oh, be the store shop person here in this scene that's not moving the story forward. And then, oops, snip. And yeah. then you're not in it. So uh, in this case, that scene was going to have to be in it because it was important to move the story forward with Reese and Katie. And uh, so that was that was the one. That but you couldn't one. find somebody else. That I mean, that, that, I figure I, I also <laughs> set something up where I could possibly get killed in every one of these things. Ah, uh, so, uh, okay, uh, all right. So, so I'm thinking that'll be my thing. Are we thinking yeah. clean shaven Jack Carr? This is exactly. like you know, no one knows that yeah, he shaved. Exactly. In, in, exactly. Okay. So I shave my head. I'll do the shave the beard. And the beard. A little different every time. It's kind of. <laughs> it's kind of what I'm thinking. We're the first to hear that. I haven't told the showrunner or Chris or Antoine or anybody. So so don't, so let me tell him first. Oh man. Okay. So going back to, to that scene though, uh, and I listened to an interview with Andy Stump. Uh, and so he, he, I loved how he picked apart the entire scene. Uh, I, he, he didn't I, like it. <laughs> he did not like it. There were some choice words, but if I'm not mistaken, you mentioned something about squib. Yeah. So a squib is that thing that blows up and, and, uh, is a little, makes a little blood, you know, show. Yeah. but, uh, for me, they put it in the headrest. So it was really cool actually to see how they do the whole thing. And I wanted to actually do the car crash. So in my little shootout with Chris Pratt, uh, there's a little car crash first. Land Cruiser runs into this, essentially like a little rental car. And uh, I thought, oh, I can do that. I don't, uh, yeah, no problem. And they wouldn't let me do it because I'm not a, in the part of the stuntman guild or something. Uh, and then I saw the hit and it looked, it was, it was hard. So I'm like, 
No problem. I'm glad they did not <laughs> let me do that. But the guy who doubled me was uh, is Mick Rogers, legendary Hollywood stuntman, who uh, he doubled Mel Gibson in Lethal Weapon when he's handcuffed to that business guy on the top of that roof and jumps off. So that's the same guy. And he was just he was just awesome. Just so, such a cool guy. So they did that. He got in the car, did the crash. Then I get in. And, uh, and the way they put bullet holes in glass was also new to me. So they take these little like metal straws and they're lined up just under the dash. So the camera's looking in, can't see them. And then as Chris is shooting in, there's somebody off to the side with an iPad who's hitting that and it's a little mortar. So a tiny little ball bearing shoots up from the other direction into the glass and puts holes in the glass. So you have to have your sunglasses on so you don't get any glass fragments in your eyes. And, uh, and yeah, then Chris, but the squib is in the headrest. So it's a little like packet of red gel that explodes. And so when Chris shoots me in the head, I throw my head to the side and they hit the squib and it goes all over the, over the roof and windows of the, of the car. But I did have to have a little talk with Chris though beforehand. And I had to let him know that if this was real life, uh, things would go down a little differently. (laughs) (laughs) And just need to be clear on that. (laughs) So speaking of the terminal list series for Amazon, um, some of you may or may not know there is a writer's strike in Hollywood. And so how has that impacted the subsequent series? Yeah, so we're doing, we're rolling into a, uh, a spinoff series with uh, Taylor Kitsch uh, playing Ben Edwards. And that's one of the characters that in the show I thought was much more fully developed than the character in the book. And then when what Taylor brought to that role, just elevated it to the next level. So that's the spinoff series with him. And then we roll that right into True Believer. But we're in the middle of writing these scripts. I think we're on script five uh, of seven episodes for the spinoff series for the prequel origin story. So it's pencils down right now. And, and uh, I'm not part of the guild yet. I think I would be after this because I'm writing the finale for, uh, for this one and for the True Believer one as well. But uh, so out of respect for what they have going on, I'm pencils down too. It just means that I um, reprioritize and keep working on book seven. And so no working on it, like period, because your, your books are so thoroughly outlined before you start writing. So there's, I mean, you're able to really compartmentalize. Nope. I'm not going to do anything whatsoever. Exactly. So, I mean, it may, it may be if you uh, didn't have anything else going on, you'd be tempted to, to do that. But for me, I'm like, oh, well, however long it takes them, I'll yeah. just focus on book seven. And then I have a, a nonfiction book coming out in a year and a half on the 1983 Beirut barracks bombing. So working on that right now, too. So there's plenty to keep me busy as they, uh, they work out the writer strike deal. But for that one, I mean, it's the, uh, the streaming stuff has been kind of building for a while. And then with AI hitting hard this last year, it kind of became both AI and, and streaming for the, for the writers. So um, we'll see how long that takes to, to work out. You know, last year with In the Blood, um, there's Alice and it was, it was chilling to know that, wow, okay, you've obviously got your finger on the pulse. And there was the comment that you have made in, in several interviews that, um, of people who, you know, within the community that any, any further, it would be science fiction. Exactly. And so here we are with ChatGPT just taking off in the past four months and it seems to be uh, evolving by the nanosecond. Yeah, no, so the ChatGPT, I got a lot of calls in January, and I'd never heard of ChatGPT before, and I started getting all these, these calls and texts and emails saying, this is like your last book, um, <laughs> and what, what do you know? Jack Carr is dead. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's, uh, so yeah, I started getting those, and um, uh, I mean, it's so interesting. It got here, so it's now it's not really a question of if we should or, or could. It's here, and it's about management from this point forward. But, uh, but in the last book, it was quantum computing and AI, the coupling of those, and then looking at uh, how far ahead China or where China was. And as of my last book, which was a year ago, we were still ahead in the quantum computing AI space. But 
know, years past, and and I don't know where we are anymore as far as that goes. I would think that we're still ahead of China there, and they have a little bit of a lead when it comes to passive targeting and uh, and hypersonic missiles, from what I understand. Uh, and passive targeting for those who've seen Top Gun. Remember, if you got missile lock and you, you know it and you're like, ah, what do I do? And uh, passive is like, you don't know. And they can hit you from anywhere. So you're just here and there's nothing that can tell you that this thing is coming, but you've been locked on and, and, and off you go. So yeah, a lot, lot to explore. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, what's, what's your take on, on ChatGPT as it pertains to people who write fiction and, and whatnot? Do you see this more as a tool where somebody can use this as uh, something to help them with a, with, a, with a novel outline? Whereas they were uh, in the writer's world, there's plotting where you outline everything. And then there's pantsing where you fly by the seat of your pants and you just make stuff up as you're, as you're going. So do you see this as more of a tool when somebody's using it, quote unquote, a more, I guess, in an appropriate sense of the word or? Yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, I mean, for kids coming up now, it's going to be their normal to just ask this chat GPT a question and yeah. kind of go with it. So that's kind of, kind of different for me. I still like the heart and soul of writing and what makes these books, um, stand out would make them, uh, so personal and meaningful to me is that all my heart and soul goes into these and uh, not just from a work standpoint, but from the emotions uh, and feelings behind and thing, events that I was involved with downrange. So if it's, a, if it's an ambush, I remember what it was like to be ambushed in Baghdad 2006 and I just take those and apply them to a totally fictional story. Same thing with sniper ops. I think what it was like to do that job and then I take those feelings and emotions and I put them into the, the novel. So um, will ChatGP be able to do that? Maybe in one way, shape or form, but it certainly wouldn't be very therapeutic to me to sell this machine to, to do it. And then I go off and just like wait for it to be done. Um, so if I use chat GPT or something like that, I think I might explore using it as like a research assistant mm-hmm. and, um, just having a separate computer set up maybe that doesn't have anything else on it. Cause I heard you have to get, give it access to all your stuff. So it gets to, to know you. I don't know if it's true or not. Cause I haven't touched it yet. That's not but, chilling. Uh, yeah. So have a separate computer at least that only does chat GPT yeah. and uh, say something, you know, on life, like put a, put a research paper together on me for, for me on uh, the, for this book, I'd say something like uh, the, uh, the, the 1983 Able Archer um, exercise that almost resulted in a nuclear exchange between the United States and Russia and just use it as a research thing, maybe, but I guess I haven't tried it yet. Okay. There, there are many ways that we can go with this, but I want to start first with um, the research uh, that goes into all of your works of fiction particularly a certain torture scene. This is not giving anything away. I have finished the book, but I promise that I will not give anything away. But there's a certain torture scene uh, of a Russian involving a certain plastic tool. I'm dancing around this. Um, is that something that is that is real or did you completely make that up? Of course I made that up. That would be awful if that was a real thing. Because I read the Gulag Archipelago. <laughs> And I know some of the torture techniques that they actually use in, in the gulags. I'm like, yeah. wow, I never heard of that. But that yeah. sounds so Russian. Yeah, I know that is from the gulag, actually. So I like to weave some uh, history into these pages, not yeah. just for like different events here and there, but things like that that develop that you have to really think of, not just, oh, what's a, what's a cool new interrogation torture technique to weave into the book? It has to work for the characters involved. So in this case, you have a Russian, a very Russian Russian, not just somebody with a little bit of a Russian background. Um, so you have to figure out the psychology of what's going to get to that person. So I like to weave that sort of thing in there as well. So a lot more thought goes into it than just uh, shoot him in the other leg or whatever. You know, yeah. it has to, it has to, it has to fit the story. You can only kill be. somebody so many times. <laughs> you shot me in the other leg. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
right. you shot me in the toe. <laughs> Very badly burned. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, I also want to go back to something oh. here. Let's see. Because I have dog flapped pages. Oh, look at that. Um, I want to go to, I want to go to, uh, Ukraine. And I know this is something that a couple of people have wanted me to ask you about. So your take on Ukraine, this is something that you had brought up in a, in a previous book. And there's a lot of stuff going on with these certain parts of the world. So if you can talk about that. Yeah, so the first, some of these things aren't very difficult to predict. Um, people say, you read the future? No. You're a prophet. It's just it's common sense in a lot of cases. But my second book, True Believer, there's a uh, threatened Russian invasion of Ukraine for certain reasons that are outlined in that, in that novel. But in the research for that, I read a book called Accidental Superpower by Peter Zian. And um, it's uh, talked about, no, it was written in 2014. I read it in 2016 on my way to Mozambique doing research for, for True Believer. But he predicted the exact year that that invasion would have to occur by because of steep Russian population decline and how they wouldn't be able to field an army at that level if they went past 2022. So he predicted it back in 2014 to the exact year. And I've incorporated a lot of his uh, work into, into the strategic geopolitics of, of my novel. So, um, and, and it just happened to fit into this story as well. In a previous interview, you had also mentioned that some of the writing in this book is uh, reflective of what's, what's on your mind. And that's quite evident as well. And there are parts where you talk about um, social media use and, and how divided we seem um, and so if you could talk about some of that and how you think about these things when you're, when you're putting this, uh, from your mind to into the monitor. Yeah. So there's a lot of, uh, of, I guess things that are on my mind, I guess in here, but I like my readers to get to know my protagonist because of what he's thinking. So he's not just doing things. He's not the same person he was in the first book as he is in this book. He's on a journey just like we all are. He's learning. He's applying lessons from past failures and successes to, to future or future or current decision making right here. Um, but, he, but he's learning. He's evolving. Um, but I like, like for me, if I'm in, let's say, northern Virginia and I have to, and I'm armed and I have to take an off ramp and go into D.C. for like a minute, well, I'm going to think about now I've become a felon for this minute uh, or two. And so would my protagonist because he's a, a student of the gun and he knows those things uh, or he thinks about those things. And someone who is a student of the gun would think about those things. So it's kind of odd for me sometimes to read, uh, read books that a protagonist isn't thinking along those lines if he has a background that allows him to do the things that he's doing. So I like to incorporate a lot of that in here because it, uh, you, get to know, you get to know the character. How much of yourself do you see in which character the most? Like which character do you see Jack in? Well, I mean, James Reese has a background similar to mine. So he was a, a former Navy SEAL sniper, enlisted, becomes an officer. Mm-hmm. When people meet him in the terminal list, he's uh, gonna come back from his last deployment as a troop commander and he's gonna reevaluate things because that's the last time that he's gonna tactically maneuver guys on the battlefield. That's where I was when I started writing this. I'd come back from my last deployment to Iraq and I was a troop commander there and realized that if I stay in, I'll go to a staff job somewhere that I will absolutely despise. And then I'll have to come back as a, uh, a, a SEAL team commanding officer, which, uh, which sounds impressive, but really in today's day and age, if you're a uh, commanding officer of a team or an element, you're really back in a t- tactical operations center and you're allocating assets. And yes, you're a leader, but you're not 
tactically maneuvering guys on the battlefield, kicking indoors, doing that job that drew most of us to the SEAL teams or to special operations in general. So when I got back from that one, I picked my head up, looked around, realized my family needed me, and uh, I thought, okay, it's been a good run here, and it's been a solid run, and it's time to, to, uh, to get out and follow this next passion, which is, which is writing. And it seems like this is something that, you know, if you were to reverse engineer your, your career, this is something that this seems like an obvious next step for you. You've been reading since you were a boy. Your mom was a librarian. And this is like something that, you know, it almost seems cliche, like you were born to do this. This was the book that you were born to write. And then ne- the next one, so on and so forth. Yeah, let's listen to that, that calling. I think we all have something in us that calls us to to do something. And yeah. for me, it was military service, uh, serving my country, testing myself in, uh, in the SEAL teams, in BUDS, uh, SEAL training, and, uh, and then writing. And I knew that after that time in the military, I would write because back in the 80s, they were kind of a, uh, a source material for me because you could find the end of the internet. If you went to the library and looked up things on special operations in the 80s, you could essentially get to the end of that shelf. And that was about it. Uh, specifically if you're trying to research SEALs. But in the pages of these novels by guys like Tom Clancy and Nelson DeMille and A.J. Quinnell and J.C. Pollock and Mark Golden and uh, Louis L'Amour for Last of the Breed, for those who have read, have read that, Stephen Hunter, they had protagonists with backgrounds that I wanted in real life one day. So I just dove into these books. I absolutely loved them. Uh, by age 11, I was for sure reading those same kind of books that my parents were reading. About fifth grade is when I, when I stopped reading the, the young adult fiction and started reading the stuff that my parents were, were reading. And I've uh, been reading those novels ever since, so it gave me really an early education in the art of storytelling, uh, like from the fans' perspective. Uh, not something I was—it wasn't age 11, 12, 13, uh, reading these things, with, uh, you know, uh, through a Machiavellian type of an eye. Like in the future, this is going to help. This is going to really pay off. But uh, but it has because there were, I think, less filters in place. Meaning mm-hmm. at age 11, 12, 13, I'm just loving these for the magic of that story. And, uh, and as I'm reading it, there's not some of that, maybe that cynicism that builds up over time as we get older and have more experiences. And uh, I was just loving them for what they were. And uh, I'm trying to do that same thing now, which is why, well, if anybody from Simon & Schuster is here, David, earmuffs David, earmuffs <laughs> David Brown. Uh, so I don't pay too much attention to deadlines. Um, I, I heard you're not a fan of deadlines. Yeah, that's not, not really. Um, <laughs> Because it's all about the story, so I don't want to get to oh I'm creeping up on my deadline. I've got to rush to finish this, or um, uh, I've hit hit page hit 100,000 words, 105,000 words. Time to wrap this up. No, never. It's however long it takes to make that story the best it can possibly be. That's what's going to get all of me because people are trusting me with their time, and they're never going to get that time back. So that's something I take extremely seriously. And if I need to push a deadline or a publication date, I have no problem doing that because it's all about the story. I mean, it's the, the for, for your time, it has to be about that story. So I have to honor that story and put all of me into it. It's just like the internet. It's forever. It, you know, you can't, you can't unwrite something. You can't just go back in and be like, oh, you know what? Backspace, backspace, insert, and then republish. Yeah. I mean, the books, you know, we're all, we're all holding them already. Yeah. We call yeah. it a fire and forget weapon system in the military. So once that thing, you press that button, it's gone. There's no pulling that thing back. And where so, it goes, it, it yeah. lands. So, and yeah. yeah, you can't unfire it. Um, how many, so do you write a thousand words a day? Do you write 10,000? Uh, Brad Not Taylor 10, said 8,000 at one point, I think. He did 8,000 in a day? What, okay, John. Jeez. John. Fact check. Fact, Fact check. check. I think he, he did say 8,000, I think was his record. And he was under a deadline. Wow, that's crazy. So, so I did. Um, so some days there's zero, just because there's other mm-hmm. things that are happening, or there's scripts or whatever else that I'm that I'm working on. Um, but uh, I think my record is 56. I want to say somewhere between 53 and 58. So 56 
um, uh, hundred in in one sitting or in one day from like the when I wake up until so probably a twenty four hour period. That's probably yeah. all nighters. So I pulled three all nighters on this one. They're getting harder to do for anybody. <laughs> uh, the first books it was like ah no no problem yeah. you know Savage Sun like well, that hurts a little bit. Um, and then, uh, this one is like, Oh my gosh, it's just like, I got floored. Like Mike Tyson hit me in the face. Um, but so it's getting harder and harder to pull all nighters. So, but we have three kids, wife, dog, all that stuff. So you're constantly juggling. And, uh, I know the kids will not be in the house forever. So I'll, one day I'll miss those interruptions. So now I just, you know, I don't want their memories of me to be like, Hey, I'm trying to work in here, you know? Cause then once you do that, you're like, uh, now you can't work. Cause all you're thinking about is that. So, yeah. um, so yeah, I, I just, uh, you know, I, I treasure the interruptions as well. So, uh, and I just know it just makes things take a little longer and that's okay. Absolutely. So when you write the 5,600, because I'm curious now, is it, is it like that was two once. pages? That's the record. That's like not, not healthy to do that. <laughs> but is it, is it an hour here and then you go and hang out with the kids, take them to school or whatever, make lunch, and then you go back and you're writing for 45 minutes and then you do something else or oh, no. all at once? Yeah, no, that's a full, full on wake up all the way to that was that was the all night. Oh right wow! There. Okay. Um, so yeah, with no breaks. And with yeah. with all the research that goes into these books, are you are you writing, um, and then like you write, and then maybe you make a note in the middle of something. You're like, okay, I think this might be wrong, so I'm going to make a note, go back and fact check, and maybe you put in parentheses and you go back on your second or third rounds. How does yeah, it work? Yeah, I'll put either X's if I yeah. need to go back and like something's missing here, so I'll put a bunch of X's there. Uh, and then that's mostly in the outline stage because I'm still figuring out, okay, how's he going to get past this? Not quite sure, but I know in a year and a half, I'll figure that out. So yeah. I'll let it stall me out right yeah. there. Um, but then when I get to the narrative and I start writing, if something, uh, if I know I need to come back to something, I'll put either X's or I'll put something in parentheses like uh, need a chapter with, let's say, uh, the Russians here or something like yeah. that. Um, and I haven't quite figured out what yet, then I'll do that. Uh, and sometimes I'll take, I'll make something red if I know I need to come back to it and just put, give another eye on it. But I don't want it to, to stall out the flow. So I'll just keep, so if I get stuck somewhere and it might kind of, uh, it might stall things out a tiny bit, it'll get turned into red or it'll get the X's or it'll get a little bit of some parentheses and, uh, and that's it. But I'll just keep going. Just want to get through it and, uh, and then go back and make it great. Because it feels like you can fall into a research rabbit hole on YouTube just looking for something is like, okay, well, did the Russians do this in 1978? That's a reference to in the blood. Did the Russians in fact do this in 1978 with the scientist who got whatever? And then 10 hours of YouTube videos later, yeah. you have only gotten two sentences done because you were trying to verify it. <laughs> no, I don't do, I've never gotten that stuck. That sounds, is, it, is that personal experience? That, Actually, no. <laughs> no. I haven't gotten that stuck before, but I'll, uh, you know, I'll order books or I'll find something like, mm. oh, this is uh, referenced in you know, book XYZ, I'll order it. Um, so that means that'll kind of go on hold maybe for a little bit until gotcha. that book gets here. Um, and then I'll do a speed read of it or a skim or go to that chapter or yeah. something like that to confirm something in another book or something I saw online or, or whatever else. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I don't do too much research on, um, on YouTube. Most of the research that I've done on YouTube has been um, like weapon systems, like something I'm not familiar with that I haven't used in the military or didn't, uh, or as a citizen and uh, that I can't get my hands on quite yet. So I'll do some, some research. It there. seems like, you know, every gun in the history of the world <laughs> though. 
Well, I know who to reach out to if I don't. So I'm, uh, <laughs> I definitely know more of the, of the modern weapon systems, gotcha. but, um, especially the ones that I actually worked with, but even some that I, that I didn't, but I know who to ask about mm. other things. Like, hey, what were you using the agency in 1968? Like that sort of a thing. Like what were you guys using in Vietnam? What were you issuing in other places? Did you have things in, uh, in Germany or wherever you were? And so I know who to reach out to, to ask those types of questions. Yeah. And then I can go be like, okay. And then go deep into that weapon system to bring it to life. Wow. Okay, so do you have this guy on speed dial or are you making notes as you're writing, okay, call call John Doe about the 1968 weapon after this draft? Yeah, it's a robust Rolodex. <laughs> it's in my safe. Ooh, uh, man. Yeah, but it was somewhere like that. Somewhere yeah. like, oh, reach out to Monty LeClaire at Centurion Arms because I know he knows something about sniper weapon systems from the 2004. Mm-hmm. That would be my guy or whatever it is because I know who is using what at what year that I need to go back to. Yeah. And uh, so I can make a note and then hit them later if it's too late because uh, oftentimes it's like three in the morning and I'm still writing because that's when no one's interrupting me in our house. <laughs> Um, that's about the only time no one's interrupting me in the house. So, uh, so I do tend to write fairly late. Um, but I'll make notes like that cause I can't just call or text somebody at two or three. In the morning, Why not? You know? <laughs> it's Jack Carr. Yeah. He wants to know about the I'd gun. Like I'd like to be able to call them back in the future if I need to revisit <laughs> that weapon. Dang it, Jack again, ignore. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, in the research process of a book, especially when we're dealing with things that are changing by the day, by the week, by the month, at what point in your, in your drafting process, do you say, all right, it's, it's done and I'm not going to change anything. Like, is it a month, six months prior to the final draft or <laughs> six days? Uh, yeah, it'll, eventually it goes to print and you're done. Right, yeah. But uh, uh, so it'll be up until that day. I'll still find really? it. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, so man. Going I, I, could keep, I could keep reading any of these books for the next 40 years yeah. and find things each and every time, make them a little bit better every single time, find a little mistake here, a little mistake there. Um, even copy editing stuff. Cause your mind is so crazy. How many copy editors they have working at Simon and Schuster in the basement somewhere. Um, but your mind just puts in and like an, and that is an, and, and you're just, you put in the right thing. Mm. So it's, it's amazing for those little ones like that. So there's always going to be, be little things like that, but, um, but yeah, you can always go back and make it a little better. So up until the last second that I possibly can, I'm still rereading something. I'll just be in bed and all of a sudden I'll be like, Oh, wait a second. And then I'll either get up or I'll, I'll roll over and send myself an email. Um, so I have this one email account that is just for the book. So I have a computer for each book now. Um, and that's not the most cost-effective way to go about <laughs> doing this. But uh, each book gets its own computer. So it's a, it starts with a uh, clean, clean, essentially a clean draft, clean yeah. screen, all that, all that sort of thing. But it has an email there that's just for me to send myself emails so it's not cluttered with a bunch of other things. So I open that up and any email in there, um, unless it's like a Microsoft update or something, because you have to get the updates for, for Word, but uh, it's just for the books. I'm not scrolling through or getting distracted by anything else. Um, so those go, those go in there. But uh, yeah, it's just to make things more as effective and efficient as possible. Yeah, yeah, love it. Hey, are we ready for some audience questions? Let's yeah. do it. Let's do it. Let's do yes. it. Audience who's, questions. Who's coming up to the mic? Oh, you got to come up to the mic because this, yeah. this is a podcast. Yeah, it's whoever wants to come oh, up to goodness. the mic can drink coffee pet dogs. I love it. Nice. All right. Uh, your name and your question, and you can talk right into the mic. All right. My name is, uh, oh, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, go ahead. That, that was a lie, wasn't it? We have to start over. That was we, not recording. Uh, <laughs> we're good. Now, my name is uh, Andy Morrison. I, I sort of had two questions, I guess. First one is, since there's a prequel with Ben, is there going to be anything on the Hastings mm. with Rafe specifically? 
Yes, that's a great question. And uh, there's a lot of things in the works out there, and you right. know, we'll see which get uh, get developed and when. Um, probably a lot of it is dependent on uh, how this one does, how this uh, origin story prequel does. And if the scripts are any indication, it's awesome. Like I'm so fired up for this. It's uh, it takes things from like the Terminalist is a, is a revenge thriller, conspiracy thriller, action thriller, and uh, it's uh, go it takes things international. So this is more of an international espionage thriller that takes Ben Edwards from his time in the SEAL teams, transitions into the CIA, and then goes from there. But a lot of the characters that are uh, that people get to know in this prequel are characters that they're already introduced to if they've read True Believer. So it's uh, it's a really cool way to, to uh, introduce people to the True Believer characters through this prequel story that's not attached to a book other than that the characters are the same. Awesome. The, the other question I had, you always, you tell the story of Jared, yeah. how you kind of helped him out as a SEAL commander. Do you have any leadership advice for those of us that are starting to move into sort of a leadership role, how to take care of their people, how to see that he needed help and know to take him aside and talk to him? Yeah, it's all about trust um, and trust with those in for military terminology above and below you in the chain of command. So for me, uh, the things that I, that everything's an opportunity for that, to build that trust, to one, first establish it and then build it. Um, and every situation is going to be a little different, but I think it's recognizing that no matter what interaction, how it's brief, whether it's a two minute conversation in a, in a hallway or in my case, getting out there on the range to shoot or to uh, make decisions in a field training exercise, uh, those are all opportunities to build trust. So there's never any interaction with anybody that you work with up or down the chain that, uh, that isn't an opportunity to continue to build on that trust because when you're building it with those people above you in the chain, it gives you freedom of maneuver because they can like, okay, these guys have got it. I'm going to go focus my efforts over here on this problem child or problem platoon or, or whatever it might be. That's so right. it gives you a little more, a little more freedom to do the job, a little more autonomy, which is, uh, which is always beneficial. And then the, the guys below you in the chain of command also. So building trust with them personally and professionally, and for them to know that you're going to take care of them as best you can personally, professionally, um, so that when it comes time to go down range and you're making these decisions under fire, it's all it continues to be based on trust. All right. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. Hey, absolutely. Thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Anybody else? All right. Oh, yeah. Here, all right. Let, me, let me adjust Watch the mic, out, man. man. I'll adjust the mic. Look at this back in this corner. I feel like my back's to the wall. I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to fight my way out of this thing. There's a lot of you guys. <laughs> You're yeah. trapped. I don't know. I have to go through this case. Yeah. Uh, I have two questions. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, my first question is, how many books do you have planned? First question, how many books do I have planned? I do get that question a lot, and I love writing. I've always loved writing, so uh, I'm going to continue to write forever in one way, shape, or form. But for James Reese specifically, I don't have a certain number. Uh, I'm not like, oh, when I get to book 12, that'll be it, or when I get to book 20 or book 10, uh, I'm just going to write it as long as I uh, write the character or characters as long as I possibly can. And then I also, um, going back to the, the question on Rafe Hastings, I, all, I put very intentionally wrote in other interesting characters uh, like Rafe Hastings, but not just peers of James Reese, my protagonist, family members. So we have multi-generations. Uh, so we can go to Rafe Hastings' dad and grandfather and uh, James Reese's dad and grandfather so I can explore things that happened in World War II, after World War II, in Vietnam, after Vietnam, in the 70s and 80s. Uh, so it gives me a lot 
to work with. So I don't think I'm ever going to run out of ideas. And I have this nonfiction book as history is so important to me. Um, and I think it uh, should be important for everybody. So I really want to preserve some of these lessons from things like the 1983 Beirut barracks bombing so that future generations don't have to learn those same type of lessons in blood. So, uh, so I have a lot of, there's a lot of things on my strategic plan uh, and I'm excited to, to write about all of them. And then my second question is, um, how do you come up with the plot for the books? Ooh, good question. How do I come up with a plot for the books? So for the first one, I wrote down six, seven, eight, nine different ideas, one page executive summaries, and I put them on a table and I looked at all of them. And the one I wanted to start with was my third one was Savage Son, because back in sixth grade, I read The Most Dangerous Game, which was a short story by Richard Connell written in the 1920s. And I told myself back then that one day I'd write a thriller that paid tribute to that short story. So that's the one I wanted to start with. It's very tempting, but I knew that the characters weren't developed enough to explore the themes of that novel, which was the dark side of man through the dynamic of hunter and hunted. Uh, and I knew that I had to come out of the gate with something that was primal and visceral and rooted in the realities of modern combat and was going to be just very hard hitting in order to get noticed by a New York publisher and also to introduce readers to this new character. So the terminal list was the obvious choice right there. And even at the end of that one, I knew the characters weren't quite ready to explore the themes of Savage Sun. So I wrote True Believer at the end of that one. Then I knew that Savage Sun was the one after that. Um, so, so up to this point, uh, I've had the same what was your question again? I'm so excited. <laughs> um, my question was, how do you come up with the plot? The plot. So anyway, those six, seven, eight, nine different ones have turned into some of the future novels. Um, some of them not. Like uh, The Devil's Hand was based on a conversation I had with somebody in 2016 down in Argentina about the 9-11 attacks. So that one got me thinking about that. I knew I wanted to do something that explored what the enemy would have learned from us by watching the United States on the field of battle for the last, what, 20 years at the, at the time. So in 2016, or 27, early, yeah, 2017, I had that conversation with this guy, so I wrote that one down, and that became, years later, Devil's Hand. But some of those first six, seven, eight, nine different ones have become the other novels in one way, shape, or form, or at least inspired them. So, um, so, so there are some that just, that just come naturally, and some were part of that initial group of ideas that I, that I wrote down back in 2014. Yeah. Thank you. Those are amazing questions. Thank you for asking. Yes. Also, thank you for your service. Oh, thank you so much. Hey, I want to, I want to know, man, come back on the mic. Uh, what, first, what's your name? Cause we didn't catch your name. Sullivan Duvigno. Sullivan. What is your favorite book from the terminal list series? Choose wisely. Just kidding. <laughs> Probably the fifth, the fifth one. All right. Oh, so the last one, so, my man. Uh, oh wow. Amazing. What was so your favorite? Blood. What was your favorite scene? It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Do you hey, I forgot. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. Oh, nice, nice. That's a good. I get that a lot. The boxing scene in the in the meat locker. Yeah, yeah that one was fun, man. That one was fun. That was a good one. Um, Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, really Sullivan. Really awesome. That was great. Everybody, give it up for Mr. Sullivan. While we have our next reader come up, I want to follow up with that because he's obviously interested in these books. What would be a good I'm guessing, Sullivan, are you in like what, fifth, sixth, seventh grade? Fifth grade. What would be a good history book? Because, you know, you talk about the importance of history, and I 100% agree. What would be a good history book for a fifth grader to read that maybe, you know, the school system is not going to uh, encourage them to pick up? I'm not fifth grade quite yet, but. Um I think historical fiction is a great way for, mm. and there's a lot of young adult historical fiction yeah. out there that introduces people to um, to different uh, different events in history through the eyes usually of somebody their their same age. Um, but I don't know. That it's been a while since I was in fifth grade, and there's been a lot uh, a lot since then. But I think that's a good introduction that uh, that young adult 
historical fiction right there. And then once they get to sixth grade, depending on reading level, sixth, seventh, eighth, then they can graduate to the same sort of things that, that we'd be reading. And I think historical fiction for, for us is still a great thing to do, whether it's Killer Angels for for uh, for Civil War, or it's uh, Once an Eagle, which is my, my recommended and gifted book, Winds of War, War and Remembrance, Kane Mutiny. Like, there's so much great historical fiction out there for us. I think once you hit sixth, seventh, eighth grade, it's uh, it's time to be reading those same kind of books. Cool. We got our next reader. What's your name? What's your question? My name's Reese. Um, hey, no way. Nice. <laughs> SRC. Yeah. SRC. Yeah. S. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, I, I was just curious um, with your, well, actually, first, I want to thank you. You got me through, actually, the back half of my history degree at A&M. Um, you distracted me enough to write my my dissertation at the end of the day. So, all right. <laughs> nice. Appreciate You're welcome. You. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, and then I was curious as you had a, um, you had a book turn into a TV show. Was the feeling of you publishing your first book for the first time, um, to publish in the terminal list. Um, did you get the same level of excitement or elation from the publishing of your first book as you did the adaptation into the That's a screen. great question. I'm surprised no one's ever asked me that before. Um, but yes, I hadn't really thought of it in those terms before, but, uh, but yeah, absolutely. It's uh, we're so cool. But every part of the process when we're doing that adaptation is new to me because I'm brand, brand new to this whole thing at that, at that point. Um, so from uh, getting an option by Chris Pratt, super excited about that. It's the only person I wanted to, to option it to have that happen. Crazy excited about that. And then, uh, you know, everybody tells you that, uh, they'll, uh, you know, might, might not happen. The odds of it still happening are about 1% type of a thing. You know, yeah. people like to tell you that. And I was always like, no, it's, it's going to happen for sure. It's going to happen. <laughs> uh, the person that I wanted to option it, optioned it and the director that I wanted to, is involved. And anyway, um, so it, I never really wasted too much uh, time. I think other people wasted more time thinking about it not happening than I, yeah. than I did. Um, so I was excited about that. Then excited to, uh, uh, to see, uh, to, to get introduced to the showrunner, which Chris and Antoine uh, introduced me to in a showrunner. For, for those here is, um, uh, I just learned what it was when I heard it for the first time when I was introduced to him. But like a director in a film, a showrunner is kind of a similar position in series television because you have multiple directors. So you're kind of managing all of that. So that's a David DeGilio, amazing guy. And, uh, and then we, well, he wrote the pilot and just, I advised on it. So I was really just learning. He was teaching me. Uh, so we did that. And then him and Chris and Antoine took it out to, to, uh, so that was exciting doing that having him ask me these questions and me seeing how this thing goes and learning some of the rules of screenwriting and um, seeing how that flows and that was exciting for me and then uh, seeing Chris and Antoine and the showrunner go out to Amazon Prime and Netflix and Showtime and shop it around and then this bidding war starts and Amazon ends up with it so that's exciting um, and then you're getting kind of closer because now they've infused it with some money. Yeah. Uh, then you put the writer's room together. So figuring out who those writers are going to be and being able to see what other projects they'd worked on and then advising on all those scripts where I'm still still learning uh, that whole process and seeing how it's different from the book. And I went into it realizing that it's going to be different than the book. I'm just excited we're, we're making it. Yeah. You know? uh, and for Chris and, and Antoine and the showrunner, for me, we just wanted to stay rooted in the spirit of the novels. And for me, knowing it's going to change, it was just, that's just how it, how it goes when you, when you adapt something. So all that was exciting. Then casting, that was crazy exciting because you're seeing people you've seen in films your whole life. And they're like casting, like they want to be in this. And you're like, it's like a famous person. And you're watching this yeah. and you're like sitting with Chris and Antoine, like looking at this and you're treating you like a peer, you know, and I don't know if everybody looks great to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, just, I'm just happy to be here, you know? Um, and so through that whole process, doing that and then into production and the first day of filming, you're like, okay, 
Now we're getting closer. Like things can still go off the rails yeah. like at any time in Hollywood. Yeah. But now we're getting a little closer. And uh, so to see that, uh, Chris sent me a picture of that, uh, whatever that thing's called. The, the clacker. Yeah, the clacker. Yeah. Um, so to do that, that was awesome. And then uh, and being, being in the scene and doing my shootout with Chris, like all of it was exciting. But even even after it's done, in yeah. post-production, because you can still screw this thing up in post-production. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of things do get screwed up in post-production because everybody's on other projects. And then you have people that are making decisions on editing that aren't a technical advisor. So yeah. they don't know that this gun needs to, you have to show this thing get reloaded or you're going to lose part of your audience. And if you're worried about that, then you got to show this guy reload this thing. Um, change magazines, whatever, do attack reload. Um, so we had that in the room the whole time with Jared right there. Yeah. So doing that. So that's exciting to see all those different cuts, a director's cut, a producer's cut, like five or six cuts of every episode. Um, and then making your notes on them. And uh, so that was pretty cool. And then and, uh, uh, into the marketing and advertising, like figuring out how that works and yeah. seeing seeing what they're doing there and then doing the premiere. Awesome. And we got a bunch of World War II veterans to come, uh, which was absolutely incredible. Uh, I'd been to Normandy just a few, uh, two weeks earlier with a lot of them and uh, and with my daughter. And she got to stand there on the beach at Normandy with a guy who was the first out of his landing craft and, uh, on D-Day and hear his story right there at 101 years old. And then he's at the premiere, you know, they're in their wheelchairs and it's just like, it was amazing. Um, and then the actual premiere on the first and then into, Hey, what are we going to do next? The negotiations around bringing Chris back for a second season and, and, uh, and the spinoff with Taylor Kitsch and all that. So to see all of that, I was excited at every single part of that process, but every one of those things, I'm learning something new and it felt like getting the first book published. Yeah, yeah. it did. That's a very long answer to your question. I'm sorry about that. I get so excited. See? I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. He, he, next, at the oh, next you signing, you're going to be cool. It was cool. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was awesome. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and I want to I follow up on that because something you had mentioned, well, I think it was on- You just reminded me. So remember that thing in Saturday Night Live when the, is it Chris Farley, where he's talking to like uh, Bruce Willis or somebody, remember? When he's like, remember that time in Die Hard? Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. So, so yeah, I had uh, Sylvester Stallone um, actually wanted to talk about a project. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like for me as a child of the 80s, like this is amazing. But I was thinking about that the whole time. I was like, I just awesome. I don't get starstruck that often, but there I'm trying to sneak a picture like, of the Zoom saying? call and everything. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, I'm just going to ask him, you know, like remember First Blood? <laughs> you know? That was awesome. You know? so, oh yeah. gosh. Sorry. We're going to sorry, get to your question, yeah. oh. and, and I wanted to follow up on something because yes. um, he was asking about the show, then you talked about uh, wanting to work with Chris and Antoine, and something you mentioned on Rogan, I think, no, I think Rogan mentioned it to you, is like you manifested this whole thing, uh, it seems, because you wanted to work with Chris as you were writing the draft for Terminalist, and now he's in it. You wanted to work with Antoine, and I think this is something that we talked about a couple of years, too, and he's one of the executive producers so let's manifest something here if there was going to be another tv adaptation of another novel who is an actor or actress that you would love to see you can't answer that one now because otherwise oh. if they don't if that person isn't cast in that mm. role then you answer that question forever like were you disappointed that the person <laughs> <laughs> like, i know uh, you wanted george clooney but come on no there's but uh yeah there's all there's a short list for rafe i often get that question about about rafe and who's going to play that role so there's a short list there working on on that but really everything's on hold during the the writer strike yeah. so however long that that takes um and interesting to see like how much changes there and how many people that could have done it maybe during writer strike or decide to do other projects or just things change however so uh, it'll be interesting to see how that uh, that plays out but 
Yeah, there's, there's, some, there's a grand strategic plan out there with some cool stuff. And we'll all right. All we get. We'll take it. Come on up to the mic, man. Right. What's your name and what's your question? My name is George Blitch. Um, thank you for coming here today. And uh, on behalf of everyone here, we want to thank you for your service oh, to this great you. country. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And uh, my question to you was, what are some of your routines to maintain a optimal state of mental and physical health? <laughs> oh, okay. Hold on a sec. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Things have gotten pretty busy over the years. I wish I could uh, tell you that I got up at 3.30 every morning and that I hung from my gravity boots from the thing for like 30 minutes. And That's then I, I figured, yeah. started my peat moss tea while I meditated or journaled and then got in the sauna and back and forth between that and the uh, the ice bath, getting it for the gram, of course, where you get in there. Um, but uh, that is not the case. Every morning I'm shot out of a cannon with uh, three kids, dog, wife, and it's just chaos trying to get everybody to school lunch is made where's your backpack you know everybody you know parents know where's your violin is it a violin day today you know like those those things are the same for for everyone i think um so i don't have the optimal routine yet um i know coffee in the morning bourbon at night you don't want to switch those I know that. <laughs> no definitely so, not so don't switch those up but uh but yeah you know, i'm just trying to, to to be a better husband father today than i was yesterday be a better author Today than I was yesterday, uh, make each sentence that comes next better than the one before. Just like in the SEAL teams, wanted to be a better operator and leader today than I was the day before. Wanted to earn that trident every single day. Um, and that's really what you owe the people that you're taking downrange, uh, the guys to your right and left that you're going to be leading into harm's way. So, um, so same thing today. None of that's really changed at all. Um, I just, uh, yeah, I do stay up later, though. Than I uh, did in the SEAL teams because uh, for whatever reason. Well, this is a long book. If anybody is, you guys have it in your hands there. It's 139,000 words. And uh, that's it. when I started, I didn't know that it was going to be the longest one to date. Didn't know it was going to be the most brutal to date, but that's how long it took to, to tell this story. So um, so that meant that uh, the, some later nights, and uh, but at some point I'll get into a, back into a routine. I have now built an outside gym that's like a uh, Rocky Four style. So it's uh, it's out there. It's really cool looking. And then as soon as we got it built, it snowed and it was under. Well, so so I couldn't possibly work out while it was covered in snow. Um, but eventually, I think as the uh, uh, as I get more organized, that's one thing I want to work on is, is getting into a more of a sane routine when it comes to all these things. But right now, it's all about prioritization. Uh, what's my front sight focus on today? What's my five meter target today? Um, and tomorrow and the next day, this week. Uh, and because there's so many projects out there and having such a great time with all of them. So I'm, uh, I'm just constantly, constantly learning. Uh, just like James Reese is a student of the gun, a student of warfare, a student of history, I'm a student of all that as well, and a student of my craft. So um, it's work, but it's not. Just like the SEAL teams never felt like work, this doesn't feel like work. They feel like their professions. I think there's a difference between a uh, profession and a career. And there's a reason we don't call it the career of arms. It's the profession of arms. Um, so that was a profession as is, as is writing. And I, I just love every single second of it. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for being here. We appreciate oh, thank it. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you. I'd love to follow up on something that he asked. I'd love to follow up on something that he, that, that you said, and that was that being a Navy SEAL didn't feel like work. And I've never heard it put that way because I think of I think of Hell Week and I'm like, wow! Thank God there are men that are 10 million times better to, better than me that would endure this kind of thing to do what you have done. So can you talk a little bit more about about that? Yeah, well, it's certainly not better. It's just uh, uh, maybe uh, I don't know. 
uh, they're looking for a mental fortitude and a grit, you know, mm-hmm. someone that can put themselves and wants to test themselves. And I think there's something in every one of us that, um, that from a, a younger age up to, let's say, 13, uh, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, there's this draw to test yourself primarily in, uh, in military service. So you, uh, and a lot of times you had to do something like that to prove yourself to the tribe, to prove your worth to the tribe and the community. Um, before you could become a valued member of it. So uh, that's why Marine Boot Camp, I think, is such a draw. That's why SEAL BUDS training is such a draw. That's why uh, Army Q course, Army Ranger School is such a draw, because uh, you want to test yourself. And, and I, was, uh, I was no different. I wanted to test myself in this crucible called Hell Week and see if I could make it. So for me, I mean, it didn't ever feel like work there either. It was more like I'd see people quitting to my right and left, and some guys would be like, uh, oh, come back, don't quit, because you had the bell. Right there. So for those that don't know, you ring this bell three times uh, when you're in SEAL training, and that means you you voluntarily uh, leave the program, you quit. Uh, and during Hell Week, they turn they put it into a trailer hitch, and so everywhere you go, you see it. For the for most of the training, you have to run to a certain office and and go ring it. But for Hell Week, you can see it the entire time for the entire week. Um, and I, you know, when people started to quit, I was like, you know, it, this program's working. You know, this person, you know, there's maybe this isn't their sport. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I, I liked I liked that. So it was horrible, of course, but you're just cold, tired, wet, hungry, and uh, you're running around for for a week. And this is but for me, I dreamed of doing that my whole life. And so to have that opportunity to be there uh, doing that, testing myself. And for me, I, I loved it. I just embraced it. Nice. All right. Name and your question. Hi, uh, my name is J.D. McGraw. I've spent the last year in Ukraine. Oh, wow. And uh, was oh wow yeah. amazing wow. Anyway, I, did you know uh, Dan Swift by chance? No, was, I, somebody sent me an article on him recently. Though, see the the seal yeah. that was killed over there recently. Yeah, I, I did yeah. not know him. I haven't read that article yet. Yeah. Okay. Well, what uh, buds class were you in? Two thirteen. Okay. I, a lot of my friends were in two two eight. All right, two two eight was a solid class. There's yeah. a lot of people in T28 that... Uh, a little guy named Marcus Luttrell. Yeah, there was a lot of people. He's a big <laughs> old boy. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of uh, amazing people in that class. Yeah, very cool. Out of uh, all the countries you went to, which one did you like the best? Ooh, did I like the best? I don't know. That's a good question. Like for, for military, you mean? I mean, I only went to a couple, really, with the military, uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, a few others, but... Uh, okay, but, so mostly in the sandbox, okay. Yeah, yeah, but northern Iraq was beautiful. I mean, northern Iraq, when, when things aren't raining down on your head, uh, in the springtime, it's, uh, it's pretty up there. You know, there's some parts of it that look like northern California wine country. Um, and Afghanistan, beautiful. The mountains of Afghanistan are just so stunning. Um, so, yeah, I try to appreciate some of it for uh, what I can for, for what it is, Yeah. Okay. Well, if you need any research on Ukraine, all right. You, you thank can, you. You can call me at two o'clock in the morning. I appreciate Thanks. that. Thank you. Thank you. Which of the two do you see as the most likely or more likely to to bounce back and be like the West? What Russia, Ukraine? No, I'm sorry, Afghanistan or Iraq. Oh, uh, keeping in mind. Oh, neither. Okay, <laughs> yeah. I was going to say like in a hundred or two hundred years after everybody's long gone. Still neither. Still neither. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's by a, a long okay. shot. There's nothing no, no, wrong no, with yeah, yeah, no. I'm just. It's sad when you think about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's some beautiful yeah. stuff over there. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even put it in the, the sad category. I mean, there's a different 
but in every country, there's yeah. a, a different value placed on human life, include parts of parts of our own here. Sure. Um, but uh, but yeah, there's, there's there's beautiful parts and there's ugly parts of, yeah. of every country. So, yeah. uh, but I, when I think of Iraq and Afghanistan, I don't all all of a sudden my mind doesn't just go to something mm. horrible. Um, I do think a lot of the, the the beauty over there and the people that I worked with, and um, both on our side and host nation forces as well. So um, so yeah, I don't think of them as uh, as just you know, like cesspools or anything like that. They're beautiful spots of, of those countries, for sure, no doubt. What's your name and what's your question? I like your shirt, by the way. Oh, thank nice. you. I actually have I love that shirt. pre-order. My name is Julio. Um, you actually answered a couple of my questions already uh, that I've written down, so I had to make up a new How many one. do you have? Well, I had three, so oh, this is the fourth. All we'll right. go with this one. So my <laughs> name is Julio, and given my medical background, I noticed some parallels between a character named Freddie and the journey with your son in particular. And how do you feel uh, like the connection with Freddie and then James's uh, quest to avenge him? Sorry for the spoilers. Yeah, earmuffs for anybody. Oops, that, uh, sorry. Well, it's the second book, so, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, but there's still spoiler alerts from uh, from First Blood. So when I'm talking about yeah. First Blood, the book, it's written in 1972. Yeah. Uh, David Morrell introduced the, the world to Rambo in that book. Oh, and yeah. you feel like you shouldn't have to say spoiler alert. But there, yes, there's very different endings for those who haven't read the book right. uh, and have seen the movie. You should definitely check out the book. Very different. Don't expect it to be the same. But uh, both fantastic, but both uh, both different. But uh, yeah, for Freddie's Train, our, our middle child has a, a condition. It's a genetic mutation of the NR2F1 gene, which is the same thing that I gave to, to Freddie's son. In there, and it was just a uh, you know a touch point, uh, a little bit of a way to honor our son and talk about some of those issues that families uh, deal with that have special needs children that need twenty four seven full time care forever. Uh, didn't start out that way, and the outline wasn't there, um, and then just naturally worked its way into the story. So oftentimes in the outline, I'll have I'll have things that happen beginning, middle, end, certain scenes that uh, that I want to have in there, locations, uh, intent that I need to get from certain paragraphs or chapters uh, in there, but it's not a full just—it's not the story where I'm just adding a couple ands and thes and a comma to to make this thing. I bring it to life when I turn that thing into um, into the narrative. And oftentimes, I don't even know a lot about the characters. I know the name and I know their position, um, but I don't know them yet until I put them in conversation with other characters. That's where I get to know them. Yeah. So I know who Freddie Strain was, and I know that he's uh, a sniper, and he knew James Reese's sniper school and, the, and all that, so I knew, and he was in the first book, and he was uh, pivotal there because of what happened, what I need him to do in the second book, how he needs to track James Reese down and why, but, uh, but I don't know him yet. And then it's through these conversations that I get to know him, and that's where that all, all came out very naturally. Yeah, um, which also made it more difficult to do what I had to do to him. Uh, right, at the right. End. I think in other podcasts you mentioned that, uh, or actually earlier you said that, you know, it was quick to uh, kill yourself off in the show, but I would have really loved for you to play Freddy in that. Oh, uh, well, thank you. That would have been a really cool opportunity that. for you to see you uh, downrange with a book in the sniper. Oh, as well. thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank, thank you, Julio. You. All, right. All right. All right. Beautiful. One. More question, All right. and it goes to... My name is Tyler Bro. I have a very specific question about a character that I just happen to have a share the same hometown with. Mm. Um, I know you do a lot of location-based research. I doubt you did any location based on this one, maybe so. But maybe more motivations behind who I like to think of as the CIA Bobby Boucher 
in Jules Landry. Oh, oh yeah. You're going to like the spinoff. <laughs> yeah. 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 I can't, shouldn't say any more than that, but you're going to, you're going to like that, that spinoff. Um, but no, I, so I didn't go down to that, uh, that part of the world or spend much time down there, but I needed to you know, differentiate him from other characters. Um, cause I try to, to lessen the confusion when you have, uh, people, uh, characters in a book that share a similar background, military. Okay. Special operations. Okay. Both SEALs or SEALs, Army Ranger, Army Special Forces, Delta. Like, okay, we're getting close for people that don't have a background in the military. Kind of that gets blurred a little bit. So I need to figure out ways to differentiate these characters. Um, background, accent, obviously name. Um, so uh, so that's where, where Jules Landry came from. But, um, yeah, I think you're going to like the spinoff. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. We are approaching the 60-minute mark, which means right. it is over. Oh, my goodness. And a special thank you to Murder by the Book, the best damn bookshop in the world. Thank you so much for bringing Jack to let me crash a party. I love them. I love them. I love them. And the book, Only the Dead. You're listening to the podcast right now. You got to go get it. It's Jack, jackcarusa.com, right? Uh, it is officialjackcar.com. Close, close. Okay. And it's Jackcar USA on the social there, channels. There you go. And I also want to say thank you guys for being here. It really means the world to me. You'd come out and spend some time tonight. So thank you so much. Thank you for all your support. And uh, yeah, it just means means so much to me, to my family. And, and thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Give it up, everybody, for Jack Carr. Yes. Hey, it's me. I'm back with a quick little nudge. If you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did putting it together for you, then please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe to the newsletter at cruisethroughhtx.com and share with your family and friends. Thank you.